Mark 2, verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. A discussion about the Sabbath. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read the scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this, day, is this a day to save a life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. He said to the man, hold out your hand. So the, men, so the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. This is God's word. Thank you, David. Good morning, Refuge. Good to be here. Uh, we're back in Mark's Gospel, and since it's been some time, I want to remind you of some things about this Gospel. So Mark's Gospel, as we've been saying, is an invitation to discipleship to Jesus. It's an invitation to be with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus, to consider him, to watch him carefully. It is an invitation to become like Jesus, to take on his habits and rhythms, his priorities, uh, to do what he did. Uh, and then, of course, it is to become like him, to do what he did, to go out and to live the life of Jesus. So that means as we walk through the Gospel of Mark, we are looking for rhythms and habits and disciplines of Jesus's life that we can follow as his disciples. We're listening carefully to his words in order to follow him. Another uh, thing about this gospel is that you can't just take Mark's gospel at face value. Mark, as we've been saying, is a book of deep mystery. And if we don't sit with that mystery, if we don't search the scriptures and mull over Mark's story, we will miss out on the powerful revelation of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And therefore, our discipleship to him will be anemic and ineffective. And so those are just two things I want to remind you of as we pick up the story. Now, we pick up the story in the middle of five controversial encounters that Jesus has with the religious leaders. And the charge against Jesus in this particular one, or these particular two that we're going to cover this morning, is that Jesus and his disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, 
The Sabbath, though it predates the law of Moses, is a command that on the seventh day of the week, Saturday, no one in Israel was to do any work. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 reads, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigner living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, but on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. You can see here and in other Old Testament passages that the original Sabbath command was an act of mercy by God. Remember, Israel just come out of slavery in Egypt. They never knew a day off. They never knew rest. And so God is introducing this to them. What he gave to Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation, he's bringing his people back into this mercy. This is an act of mercy to give rest to all within Israel's society, from the rich to the poor, from the powerful to the weak, all the way down to even your livestock. Everyone was to have a day of rest. So the Sabbath was a legislated merciful rest from Yahweh. We need to remember that as we go on in the text. Now by the time of Jesus, Sabbath and law observance had become something else altogether. We've talked about this a little bit, but after the Babylonian exile, the Sabbath had been elaborated to include 39 types of activity that were regulated or forbidden. As I've mentioned before, observance of Jewish law and custom at this time were not simply seen as being a compliant or pious Jew, but especially in the first century context of being under occupation of Rome, it was a signal or sign of loyalty to Yahweh and to the nation of Israel. A loyalty that in their mind, in the religious leader's mind, affected their salvation as a nation. Some later rabbis said that Messiah would come only when and if all Israel kept the Sabbath. So you can probably begin to see why the religious leaders are taking such issue with Jesus, this highly influential rabbi, as he's breaking the Sabbath. Now, what is Jesus doing that's so bad, right? How is he breaking the Sabbath? Well, him and his disciples are traveling. First of all, they're making their way somewhere. And they're winnowing grain or foraging on the Sabbath. And by the way, in in this text, Jesus doesn't argue that he isn't breaking the Sabbath. Now, as I said a second ago, in the religious leader's view, Jesus and his disciples are very popular among the masses and are clearly not upholding the strictness of Sabbath law, which, in their view, affects the future and state of the nation of Israel. If, in their minds, if Israel does not observe strict observance of Mosaic law, and especially their interpretation of it, they will remain in exile. They will remain under foreign occupation, cut off from hope, and their longed-for salvation. So what is this all about? How does Jesus answer, and what in the world does this mean for us? Why would Mark include this in his gospel that's for disciples of Jesus? Well, let's look at it. The story of David is what Jesus turns to when he's asked about the Sabbath. 
He says, David took and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Now, uh, we don't have time to really go into this story, but this is the time where David um, is on the run from King Saul and he has a band of men with him and he is hungry, he's running for his life and he enters into the tabernacle and he's looking for a weapon and he's also looking for food and the only weapon is Goliath's sword and the only food is the showbread. And so David takes that showbread that was only meant for the priest and he takes it, he eats it, and he gives it to his men. And at first glance, this is almost like a red herring. Like what is Jesus talking about? And is he simply just disregarding the Sabbath law altogether and his excuses? Well, David did it, so you know, David disregarded the law, so, so can I. Unfortunately, that is the way many view the Sabbath day today and the way that many view Jesus' interpretation of the Sabbath. But in fact, Jesus is comparing himself with David, who at the time was the anointed yet unrecognized king of Israel. And there's a valid analogy between Jesus' situation and David's. For in both the cases, you have a band of men that represent a new yet unrecognized regime that are in an emergency situation. In the context of the story, as I said, David's breach of religious rules was necessitated by the urgent situation. So what Jesus is saying is that the urgency of his mission demands that he too must violate religious custom by traveling and foraging even on the Sabbath. You remember how in Mark's gospel, Mark uses the word immediately over and over again to describe Jesus' ministry. It's not because Mark has like a nervous tick, you know, like saying like all the time, but he wants us to see that Jesus is moving so fast paced that Jesus is focused. He's on a mission to accomplish what he's been sent to do. So Jesus reference then to this incident is in defense of his actions means that the Pharisees and the reader, us, we are forced to decide whether Jesus, like David, has an authority and calling that justifies his action. The real question is, does Jesus have the authority to violate Sabbath by virtue of his calling and mission? So see, remember how we've been talking about Mark is always putting forth this question of who Jesus is and if we will follow him, if we will be his disciples. Well, here we have it again. Who is Jesus? The reader and the Pharisee, are they have to make a, a decision. Is he the anointed unrecognized king of Israel on an urgent mission? Is he indeed like David? So see, this story is in fact less about Sabbath and more about Jesus's identity and authority. Well, Jesus is saying he's on an urgent mission. So what is Jesus's calling and mission? I think it's good for us to remind ourselves. Mark tells us in chapter one that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is up, it's fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn around and give your allegiance to this good news. And from here on, we have Jesus both proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. 
We see God's restorative work of justice. We see his restorative work of righteousness, of mercy, and peace in every act that Jesus does. Everywhere in the story where the curse of sin shows up, whether it is in the demon oppressed, it's in a fever, it's in the sick, it's in the leper, Jesus cleanses it. He makes things new. He relieves suffering. He forgives sin. Everywhere in the story where the curse of sin shows up, Jesus is there with compassion and mercy to heal and to restore. It doesn't matter the situation or the person. And I think that this is what Jesus wants us to see in the story. Nothing can stand in Jesus' way of his mission not religion or law. Therefore, Jesus sees his mission of the bringing of the kingdom of the heavens as overriding the authority of Sabbath. Now, it's not just here that we see this. Actually, going on into the next story, it's there as well. It's the Sabbath again, and Jesus enters the synagogue, and he finds there a man who has a withered hand. And we're told by the author that this is a setup. The religious leaders have actually placed this man here because they want to trap Jesus. They know Jesus. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus loves to heal people. And so they know if they put that guy here on the Sabbath, Jesus is going to heal him. It's a setup so they can get Jesus in trouble. They want to see whether or not he will break the Sabbath by healing this man or not. Jesus knows this. And so Jesus... It says, has the man come and stand in the middle of everyone? And he asks a series of questions to get to the heart of the matter and the heart of Sabbath. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But it says, they were silent. Their religion had pinned them so much in this corner they can't even speak into this they have no ability to answer this question they're silent and it says Jesus was grieved because this is evidence of the hardness of their hearts they they can't even see through this that of course the answer is to save life to give life of course it is their hearts are so hard and it says and Jesus said to the man stretch out your hand. And of course the man is healed. And it says this, and this is the wild part of all this, that on that day the Pharisees and the Herodians go out and plot how to kill Jesus on the Sabbath. So God forbid that Jesus should heal anyone on the Sabbath, but these guys are going to go and they're going to plot how to kill Jesus on the Sabbath. Anyway, irony of all ironies. In Jesus' day, there was actually a great debate as to whether you could even defend life, whether you could save it on the Sabbath. And we don't have time to look into it today. But I would like to point out that Jesus could have totally avoided this whole scenario. This man's life is not in danger. He's not being threatened here. There's no urgency, really, to the situation. Jesus could easily have told this man, listen, you know, it's going to be dark in a couple hours. The sun will be down. The Sabbath will be over. Why don't you meet me at this certain location and, and I'll heal you there? You know, we could do this behind closed doors in private company. And I love it because Jesus will have nothing to do with the felicitous 
interpretation of scripture that leaves off mercy and goodness for even an hour. He will not stand for it. And so he brings the man in front of everyone. Jesus will do this work in broad daylight. He will do it in the face of religious leaders in order to showcase the true character of God. Maybe another way to put put this is, is like this. Jesus will not observe Sabbath until he has brought the true mercy of Sabbath to a suffering and oppressed humanity. Let me say that again. Jesus will not observe Sabbath until he has brought the true mercy of Sabbath to a suffering and oppressed humanity. For he is Lord of the Sabbath, he tells us. The God of mercy will not rest until he has brought his mercy to those in need. Remember in John's gospel, again, Jesus is in trouble for healing someone on the Sabbath. And Jesus answers the religious leaders. He says, my father is working and I must work also. And that's this beautiful picture that we see in both of these stories. If we really step back to think about it, God does not rest day or night until he brings his salvation upon his suffering creation. Jesus' mission of mercy will not rest until he has brought the true rest of redemption through his cross and resurrection. And so we find again and again in the pages of Mark, immediately, 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 immediately. It's like Jesus is picking up the pace and he is marching to the cross. We're told in the other gospels, he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. We're told that on the night that he had the last meal with his disciples, he says, with great longing, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That speaks to me of the heart of our God that he is at pain, that he, is, uh, he will not be deterred by rest, he will not be distracted, he will not be put off by religion or law until he accomplishes mercy and compassion for his creation. So then what does it mean to follow Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of mercy? Well, in Matthew's gospel, these stories are paired together as well. But in Matthew's retelling of these stories, Jesus tells the religious leaders to go and learn what Hosea 6, 6 means. Not what it says. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I think this means that as followers of Jesus, we need to beware of any religious observance, mindset, teaching, or practice that would keep us from mercy, that would harden our hearts, that would cause us to hold back or to pull back from those who are in need. We should beware of theologies that cloud the heart and character of God. We should beware of seeking, you know, maybe this is an example. We should beware, oftentimes in the church, we talk so much about the gifts of the Holy Spirit rather than the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
that that's what God is after. He's after a heart of mercy, that this is what he wants from us. Remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed or flourishing are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We should be a people of mercy. You think of all the people that Jesus interacted with and associated with, even within his discipleship, disciple group, right? And yet Jesus is most grieved and angered at the religious leaders who turn a blind eye toward human suffering and need. And in Jesus' opinion, there doesn't need to be an emergency. There doesn't need to be a life-threatening situation for people in order to be merciful. God simply wants mercy. There are no charts whether there are deserving poor or undeserving poor. The Jesus of the Sermon of the Mount, the Jesus of the Gospel of Mark, the Jesus of Scripture does not care. He wants mercy. Jesus' followers are to be a people of mercy. And I think Jesus is saying the same basic thing when he says, don't you know that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath? The religious leaders had gotten it all wrong that God was concerned about law, keeping the strictness of law, abiding what God wanted, the intention of the law was to produce mercy. It was to produce the heart of God. Jesus and his followers then will have nothing to do with the Sabbath a biblical interpretation or practice that oppresses people and leaves off mercy. Now, let's talk about mercy for a second before we close up. In Scripture, mercy is used in terms of forgiveness of wrong. It's also used in terms of financial debt. But more than anything else, mercy is used as a description of Yahweh, but then also as a description of kindness or goodwill towards humanity, but especially the miserable and the afflicted. And it is always accompanied with action to help them. It's not just sympathy. That's not what it is. It is merciful action. Therefore, mercy is not weakness. It's not like niceness or tolerance, it is very strong. It's a very strong word in scripture. And it has concrete actions of love, compassion, and sympathetic grace to those who are oppressed, to those who have failed, to those in need. And actually, the idea in scripture is most closely tied to our English term, social justice. The God of social justice. That's who Yahweh is. And Jesus is the Messiah of social justice. And he calls his people to be a people of social justice. That's what this word mercy means. I love how my professor defines mercy. He says, mercy or justice is inconveniencing yourself for the sake of of the worthless person. He means the person who has no worth in society, right? Especially the widow, orphan, stranger, and poor. Injustice is keeping my stuff for my own comfort. And so in closing, church, I would ask you to consider 
where might Jesus be calling you individually and us collectively to merciful action, to social justice? Where are the places and where are the people in our city, in our county, who are devoid of mercy, who have been overlooked, who people go, as we talked about last week, they cross to the other side of the road in order to avoid even looking at them, making eye contact with them. Who are these people? May the mercy that God has shown to us through Jesus be manifested through our lives to them, to those who are devoid of mercy. And I'm gonna leave you with this challenge from Jesus. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This week, let us give thought, let us give weight, let us give prayer to these words of our master. I desire mercy, not religious observance. I desire mercy. Jesus, Lord of Sabbath, King of mercy. Help us to follow you wherever you go. Help us to not fear to defend those who you defend. Help us to not fear to befriend those who you befriend and not to fear to offend those who you offend. Make us brave, Lord. Make us a merciful people. Teach us, Lord, open our eyes to see the opportunity to show your mercy, to show Jesus to our city, to show Jesus to our county. Give us grace to do so, we pray. Amen.